Hello and welcome to episode two of KU Journal. I am joined by Adam. Hello. Uh, Baka. Hello. And Alia. Hiya. Hi. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. I want to talk about the importance of comment sections in journalism. Comment sections are pretty much becoming known on every form of social media. And I think that everyone has become so used to them that it can even be called part of the experience. They're essentially an extension of posts that allow people to engage in the public sphere to discuss ideas. While as journalists, our job is to spread news to people and the overlooked aspect of the job is look at how people react to the news. And what I mean by that is reflecting and listening to the feedback we get from comments. These comment sections are a perfect way to evaluate how people react to news stories, which can help writers improve their work and create an interactive community that can keep coming back and hopefully grow their viewership. This is quoted by Monica Guzman that goes something like, people don't just consume news today, they participate in it. It's an quote from 2016 in an article in the American Press Institute, where it's really stuck with me because I think it really encapsulates how you as interactive writers in the modern day, since social media has made it so easy for writers to, to for readers to interact with ideas through the comment sections, and it's something we as journalists need to pay more attention to and hopefully capitalize on. I think those two most important functions of comment sections are one, to grow a community, and two, to encourage the use of the public sphere, since comment sections are a way to create a relationship between the reader and the writer that was previously very difficult to do. And this is the, now this is easy thanks to social media. Interactive comments has become an important aspect of journalism and also of journalism studies. There's even this essay on this topic called Public Spheres and Interactions by Florian Tofu and Unique Bewoni. I hope I said his name right. Anyways, the study goes into detail on the topic and talks about how it's an important aspect of the journalism of journalism now, and how a lot of research is going into it to make the most of this new development. A popular view on how to grow a reader community, shared by many in the journalism industry, is um, that useful and productive comments should be interacted with in order to encourage such behaviour and increase the chance that the commenter will read other articles by the writer. This view is shared by those in the industry like um, Rachel McCollin, Monica Guzman and others. On the other hand, many people in the industry believe that trolls should not be interacted with as it would just encourage them to come back. This view is shared by those in the industry like Jake Granger, for example. And it goes about saying that the existence of common sections encourages the use of the public sphere as many people want to share their own opinions on ideas and events, which can actually, you know, promote deliberate democracy, which is the idea that political decisions should be the product of fair and reasonable discussions among citizens. And like I said earlier, you know, interacting with comments is now an important part of journalism. And recent studies show that personal interactions by the writer um, is useful in creating a more civil public sphere. There was actually this experiment done by the Engaging News Project, which is now known as the Center for Media Engagement, that looked at 2,500 Facebook comments that were either replied by the journalist or the news station. And it's actually found that when the journalists themselves replied to the comments, the, the number of uncivil comments went down by 15%. There are some aspects of um, comment sections that can be harmful though. You know, trolling is an issue that many journalists have had to face. However, an even bigger issue is that that's often overlooked is the potential for radicalization, since comment sections can make people think that fringe opinions are the norm and desensitize people to bad ideas. So I think that this is something that we as journalists need to think about and try to prevent. What do you guys think is the most effective way to um, react to trolls? Uh, personally, I would say if 
for not threatening any kind of violence. I think it's a similar response to what we talked about last week in terms of if they're not threatening any violence, if they're just kind of being a bit insensitive, then uh, just ignore them. But if it does get to the point where they are threatening uh, to do something even worse or the uh, the trolling is really, really offensive, then I'd say go to some kind of uh, the police or any kind of law enforcement. Mm, I agree. I think just ignore. That's like the main thing I'd say. Ignore. But if you feel like it is getting really bad, then yeah, contact someone to help, like the police. So yeah, same. Yeah, and also I think even if it's if it, even if it's just being insensitive, if it, if it's a repeated thing that keeps happening, uh, then you can just report them, and then that that's evidence of it being kind of harassment. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, I'd, I'd agree saying that ignoring them is definitely just the way to go. Yeah, I think the worst thing to do would be to like go back at them or try and argue with yeah. them or anything like that because I think that'll just exacerbate the issue and then you're kind of lowering yourself to their level so yeah. it's really yeah. not worth it yeah definitely and it could like make them you know it could get them angry I don't know and like just make them do something to get back at you yeah like yeah, it could even make it, yeah, make it worse yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah as long as they do cross the line I think I agree as well um, yeah do you guys think that comment sections are an overall good or bad thing? I would say it depends how they're used. You know, they can be they can be a really good place where people can have insightful comments about whatever the topic is of that article or anything that's being discussed. They can be a really good place to for like-minded people to go. But then on the flip side, they can be a really negative and uh, hurtful place for people to go. So you know, it's it's hard to say, it's hard to categorise it into one, good or bad. I think there's good and bad elements on, on both sides, you know. Yeah, I think it can go, like, one of two ways. So, yeah, either it can be a good place where people, like, allow others to talk about something, or it can either just turn into something where it's, like, fights and hate towards someone. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's it depends. It largely depends on the website, I think, yeah. and how moderated it is. Because if if it's Twitter, which is largely unmoderated, then it's just kind of an overall just war of just abuse. But um, if it's if it's actually like the Guardian, where it's it's solicited and it's kind of thought through, then it's okay, I think. But then, surely, like no matter how much something is moderated, there's always going to be some some things that are going to slip through the cracks as a, or at least oh, yeah. before yeah. Uh, it's be, it's being looked at and it's being moderated it's still there yeah I think it, it gets to a point where if it's moderated too much it's not even a comment section at that point as well Yeah, that's um, especially if it's if the rules are way too strict which is again is a completely subjective thing um, then it can k- kind of kill the discussion because if, if it's being uploaded and then it's being moderated and then it's being published yeah then it's kind of that actual back and forth of talking to someone is lost because of the time difference between yeah. seeing what you what you've commented. Uh, where do you draw the line of um, maybe just like people voicing uh, a, a genuine displeasure with something and something becoming trolling? 
as well. Mm. Like who's who's drawing that line, you know? Yeah, objective. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and it's also case. I guess it's also a case by case scenario as well. Um, yeah. Do you guys think that criticism from comment sections is listened to by journalists? Um, I'd probably say it depends on the journalist, or in it goes. It also depends on the comment as well. Uh, you know, some things can be genuine criticism or just uh, constructive feedback, but. Uh, and I think if it is that type of comment, then it definitely should be listened to because, after all, a journalist is writing for their audience. So if an audience has a genuine criticism to, to say, then yeah. But if it's just being uh, hurtful and negative, then it probably should be ignored. For my second topic, I'm going to be talking about comments, the power of comments and the pros and cons. Online comments are happening every minute all around us. Some people choose to express their negative thoughts from behind their screens by leaving abusive comments. It can be argued that those who only wish to troll online shouldn't be given the power to leave comments on social media platforms, whereas others can argue that something can be done to avoid this abuse happening on the internet. For example, comments are allowed to be banned on on posts or on other social media platforms to avoid abuse online. Um, Not only journalists have views, everyone can comment on issues they want to talk about and leave their views on it. Dan Gilmore stated that what matters is that people are having their own say, which he claimed was the healthiest media developments in a long time. Comments allow people to express and interact their views, which can shed light on issues. This is a positive because everyone, like Dan Gilmore said, has a say. Everyone is allowed to express their thoughts and how they feel about certain topics. And using social media platforms can then embrace that and can then make people aware or spread news or spreads whatever they are trying to talk about. Some comments can be banned if it is really bad. Many journalists suffer from online abuse with one uh, journalist stating that she goes to work every day and a gauntlet of 100 people are screaming that she sucks and that they can't believe she gets paid for this. This is completely unacceptable because at the end of the day, she is just trying to do her job. She's just trying to do what she loves by writing articles, writing news stories, and it is her passion. So it is completely unfair that they are receiving abuse like this on a daily basis. Some have also stated that they receive rape threats and death threats because of the stories that they produce or because of the topics and their views. And this is completely out of order and unfair because it's just, at the end of the day, it's freedom of speech and everyone is allowed to have an opinion. This gets in the way of journalists' free speech and can be damaging for them as well. Although users leaving their comments on social media can be a positive thing by spreading news and awareness, as I said before, 
there are also negative comments and hating on journalists as well which for me overrides it's it's doing more damage than it's doing good the point of commenting because why is online abuse a problem and how can it be avoided well i personally think online abuse is a problem because obviously there's horrible people and when horrible people go online they'll say horrible things um yeah i feel like there's just different levels of first of all kind of like a horrible person horrible mean things are kind of like subjective but i'd say like there's different levels to it and you know if someone could just say something like really mean about how someone looks and stuff like that you know just write out kind of like threaten to harm them and I feel like if someone threatens to kind of harm someone like police should be involved or something like that but if it's just something like just cussing out the way they look then probably just report or block or just ignore yeah yeah i'd probably say um yeah it's like it's largely intent to harm should be taken very seriously online yeah um even if it's if it's a blank threat, it should still be taken as a real threat, and the person should be charged because you have no reason to say it. There's no moral reason to, <laughs> to to make death threats against people. So yeah, I think to be a bit pessimistic, I think to actually avoid it, it's almost it's pretty much impossible. I think there there are steps to take once it has been done, but them steps have to mean that you've seen it first and I think no matter how hard uh, like the organisations or the law or whoever try I don't think it'll ever actually be something that can be completely eradicated yeah which yeah, is sad but yeah I agree with mm. like, you can always try to like reduce it by like kind of adding maybe an algorithm that takes out certain words that are safe, but you can never completely get rid of it because people are People, I guess people are creative with the way, like, they're rude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, like, um, some comments or, like, some, like, when people try to say something and they change, like, the words with, like, say, an O to a zero to, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Or they can use um, emojis and stuff. Yeah. Uh, which can... Like emojis can be used to express uh, a message without being uh, explicit exactly. about it. Which is well, there's yeah. a way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Although there's basically like yeah, not much you can do to avoid it. No, but again, yeah, once once it has been done, there are ways to uh to to try and deal with that, such as yeah. uh, as we talked about it, uh, you know, going to the police and trying to use the law because the law is yeah. on your side on in this occasion yeah and i think maybe like some like platforms should have like you know i don't know if it's like going to be difficult but maybe a setting where it detects you know i don't know where it detects like a really abusive comment and then if you report that maybe get the account report like just something to like help the situation yeah. How should journalists respond to online abuse? I think back already asked this question. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think we can even go into we can we can kind of go even more into I guess I feel like with journalists it's um there's so many different approaches to it because again this that line that we mentioned earlier that can't be crossed where we kind of like threaten people but at the same time it's kind of like 
why should we let people kind of insult the person's look for example it's like even though you're not threatening to like attack someone we should still like take steps to stop um abuse towards journalists as long as they haven't done anything wrong yeah that's a good point because it can have such a um like a damaging impact on that person mentally yeah and yeah even though it's not physically threatening to harm them it can definitely harm them in other ways yeah that is true yeah yeah very true everyone be given the power to leave online comments um i would say uh I think it's a similar thing to what we talked about last week, where Bakar asked a similar-ish question about um, being able to publish like opinions and stuff. Uh, and I would say uh, yes, because I don't think anyone should have the right or the means to be able to take that power to put comments on things away. Who is there to justify who does deserve to comment on something, who doesn't deserve to comment on something? And mm. I think who are trying to, um, like, trying to say who does deserve and who doesn't deserve is too subjective and too difficult of a task. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's really a question of freedom of speech, but the problem is, like, mm. the, the thing about freedom of speech, right, is, like, you can get away with saying a lot of things just before kind of, like, being violent towards someone. But, like, for example, dehumanizing, like, calling someone, let's say, dehumanizing name, for example, that's not technically calling for violence or anything, but it's still freedom of speech at the same time you're not advocating yeah. violence it's kind of like a weird kind of gray area that we kind of have to be careful with maybe yeah maybe you could kind of work on like a, um a strike based system obviously it would be more complex than this but in a basic idea of like everyone yeah. starts with that right to comment but then as soon as you do something offensive towards someone you get a strike and it's say if you collect a certain amount or you've done enough things then that's when your right to comment on something is removed because you've had chances but you've constantly abused that that power and that chance to uh leave comments and talk to people online definitely and sorry to be devil's advocate but like you could also argue that what kind of like point system where you can like ban someone after they kind of like breaking off you know barriers you could argue that's kind of like authoritarian and uh it kind of takes away people's freedom of speech and it's really subjective because the government could just kind of like stop anyone from commenting. Yeah, but yeah. at the same... I think it's... At, like, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, at the same time, like, yeah. if, say, if people do get, like, three chances, then, say, the first time around, then it's like, it could be a genuine mistake. But, you know, if someone's been being abusive so often, then there needs to be something done about it. It can't, it can't just keep happening. Yeah. 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 I think it's largely dependent on, like overall, it's dependent on where you're commenting. Because if you're commenting on, say, 4chan, which is notoriously quite quite an abrasive board um, (laughs) that isn't very monitored, it's kind of, you can expect to get that sort of uh, kind of abuse on there. But if you're, it's about sticking to the place where you want to have that good conversation with people. um, And then that's where you have the proper rules in place such as the strike system to actually enforce good conversation amongst people yeah definitely i agree with that point and like with the point of four channels like for example it's kind of perfect because different platforms are different rules so like if you just don't like a certain rules or a certain platform just go to a different one i guess like for example yep. if you just want yeah. full freedom of speech then there's plenty of boards you can go to and just you know see what you know. yeah <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Yes, it's the board dependent with that strike the strike system thing i think that's like 
probably the best way to deal with it and it's fair as well because yeah everyone has like you know the power to say something and like everyone has an opinion so once you like give like take all your chances then yeah i think it's okay yeah Hi, I'm Adam, and my chosen topic is the use of Twitter by journalists and the spread of misinformation. So Twitter has become a rising force for journalists. It's allowed them to express their views and inform on an open platform outside of articles and more traditional news websites, and it's also allowed independent journalists to rise and mature their own journalism. However, it has also acted as a platform for misinformation to spread amongst the trusted news sources, which has made it very hard for the user to sort the fact from the fiction. I think that the use of Twitter is highly important now, as misinformation can spread so easily, and the views of Twitter users are often taken as fact, despite the lack of proper research. There have been many calls for misinforming accounts to be removed from Twitter. For example, the verified account of conspiracy theorist David Icke was terminated in November last year over the spread of unverified coronavirus conspiracies. Imran Ahmed, the chief executive of the Centre for Countering Digital Hate, said in November that 95% of the content flagged to these platforms by users is not acted on and stays online. But misinformation is not the only problem for journalists on Twitter. Expressing subjective views and opinions when employed by news companies has also been a growing problem. Twitter has been around for a while now, and news companies are beginning to see the negatives of having a near-uncensored platform for employed journalists to give their opinion on. The BBC's Director General Tim Davies said in September that the BBC would suspend staff Twitter accounts if they were not impartial enough. And given the BBC's aim of being a wholly impartial news source, he also said, if you want to be an opinionated columnist, or a partisan campaigner on social media, then that is a valid choice, but you should not be working for the BBC. So do you think, should journalists be allowed to have their own Twitter opinions separated and detached from their employers' opinions and views? Um, I think in a sense, yes, because everyone is their own person and you can have like your professional life and your individualistic like personal life. But at the same time, like the person, if the person kind of like has bad views, on a personal level that could kind of like be bad press for a company so like for example let's say um you work for a news organization that's like let's say the bbc which is neutral but then the person is extremely like extremely biased like extremely far right or left wing not like center right or center left that could bad on the bbc so i could see why some people would say no to that then if you look at most journalist twitter accounts they have that added bit in their bio saying all my views are my own so I think if they're, mm, they're making a yeah. point to the high, I feel like it's more of a thing where like they have to say that, but they're still making a point to highlight that their views are their own. So I think then as an audience, you can't look at what they're saying, even, and they're explicitly saying, this is my personal view and go, that relates to their, the people they work for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I- I was just saying that, yeah, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Like, working for, like, someone doesn't necessarily mean that you have to believe what they believe. So, yeah, I think everyone's entitled to having their own say. And then, Mm -hmm. I suppose, if that opinion becomes offensive, then... Then, yeah, that's... But that, I think, I feel like that would work with any company or any job let alone just a journalist i think if anyone is sort of saying really offensive things on um on social media then they're at risk of being penalized for it by their work yeah yeah of course yeah 
I mean, yeah, you have to be responsible for what you say because what you say at the end of the day can like reflect on your company. Even like, even if you say it's your own opinion, it can reflect badly on whoever you work for. So it's something you have to look out for. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so do you think Twitter should do more to remove misinformation? And could you give me like a, a brief summary of how you think they could do it? I suppose. Um, I... No, you go back up. Yeah, I think they already do in a sense. I mean, if you look at Trump's tweets, for example, they completely like during the election and during COVID, they just completely kept fact-checking him every single time. But at the same time, I think with Twitter, it's kind of like they focus on the large accounts, but they don't really focus on the small accounts, which are the ones actually doing the trolling and all the abusive kind of like threats and everything. So yeah, Twitter is kind of like in a weird place where it does do a lot of fact-check, but only on big accounts and kind of leaves smaller, more harmful accounts alone. Yeah, if I can add to that, it's like, I've got a statistic where it's 95% of the content flagged to platforms by users is not even acted upon. So it's purely, like you say, it's just the big accounts and the big organizations that are monitored, but the actual reports that mean something aren't actually getting I guess, acted upon. Yeah. If I could reflect on that is that if the easiest way to do that would be to employ lots of people to go through all of that, and I think that statistic shows that they probably don't have enough employees and it's, I think it's easy to say, oh, just hire more people. But then if they don't have the means or the funds to do that, I'm not sure if they do or not. I've not checked. But uh, I guess what I'm trying to say mm, is the easiest yeah. way to do it to answer your question would be to employ more fact checkers. But then how realistic that is, I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like human power versus exactly, the amount of content coming in. It's so hard to monitor. Yeah, and also on platforms like Twitter, they kind of like use algorithms instead of actual like workers because there's just way too many like um, comments being put out. So, for example, if there's any tweet about, let's say, COVID, for example, you'll have that little kind of blue thing where it kind of shows an exclamation mark and saying, oh, here's the rest of the information about COVID in his wiki page, just to kind of like stay in the right direction. But yeah, I think it'd be impossible to just kind of like fact check every single comment. Mm. Yeah, I think as what Baka said, that's true because mainly tro- like the trolling comes from accounts who have like no followers, no profile pictures. So yeah, I don't really think they put enough like effort into the smaller accounts, like you guys said. But Maybe. yeah, also yeah, because they're quite they're yeah. quite obvious, aren't they? If they like you say, if they maybe Twitter yeah. could themselves could acknowledge by saying like, listen, I know we know that there are a lot of these fake accounts going, these are the things to look out for in fake accounts. And then if they make their audience aware and they make their audience look out for the red flags, the signs that someone may be publishing fake news, then that could go a long way into uh, making the audience understand more and not believe the fake news that's being spread. Because it's kind of, I mean, the questions, I don't think it really has a solution because it is just a stupid yeah. task. It's yeah. a, such a monumentous task to be able to uphold. Um, so I think just making awareness is probably the main yeah. counter to it, like you say. Um, and do you think it's right? So with the amount of misinformation that's being spread, do you think it's right for your journalists to kind of break news on Twitter if it's fresh uh, news? Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of my breaking news from following journalists on Twitter and it's the easiest way for them to get that opinion out there. And even if they weren't explicitly stating the breaking news on Twitter, then all they'd be doing is linking the article that they've written the breaking news on. So if you're cutting out that extra step of having to mm. link the article and just saying it themselves, it doesn't really make too much of a difference, I don't think. 
Yeah, I guess as long as the journalist is a trusted yeah. figure, because with the whole misinformation thing on Twitter, it's kind of like, oh, if someone just says something randomly, you just kind of believe them. But if it's like a trusted kind of individual, it kind of makes it easy to just get like better news. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, 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 I agree. I think it's okay. I think it's okay for journalists to put fresh news out. I don't think it's a problem for me. The phrase fake news was popularised by Donald Trump in 2017 when he began to use it first as president-elect and then as president. Since then, the term has taken on its own form, meaning any news story that could be considered to have a political bias, although it is often used when there is no bias to. Trump's persistent use of the term has caused Republican supporters to begin to distrust the media outlets that Trump has most vocally criticised and branded as fake news. Michael Dimock and John Gramlich reported that distrust in CNN rose from 33% in a 2014 survey to 58% by 2019, in addition to the percentage of Republicans who said they distrust the Washington Post rose by 17% and the New York Times rose by 12%. Another prominent example of fake news being spread is throughout the COVID pandemic where you can see so many people saying lots of contrasting things. Scientists at East Anglia University have stated that the more success that we have in stopping the spread of fake news can actually help to save lives. In their research, they focused on three other infectious diseases that were the flu, monkeypox, and norovirus. However, they said their findings could be used for dealing with the coronavirus outbreak too. Their study took into account acts of real behaviour, how different diseases are spread, incubation periods and recovery times, and the speed and frequency of social media posting and real-life information sharing. They also discovered that believing in conspiracy theories can be linked to a lower trust in authorities. They also found that people are actually more likely to share bad advice on social media than good advice from trusted sources. However, the most important find of the study found that if the amount of harmful advice being shared online was reduced by 10%, then it would have a diminishing effect on the severity of the outbreak. And if 20% of the population were unable to share harmful advice, then it would have the same positive impact. Finally, in an article by Emily Vogels, Lee Rainey and Jaina Anderson, they asked experts to predict the impact of technology in the world by the year 2030, and several of the experts expressed their concerns over misinformation and fake news being a pervasive and problematic issue in the digital world of the future. So nowadays there's a lot of uh, public distrust in the media and media outlets. How would you go about regaining that trust between uh, journalists and the public? Well, obviously, I, um, I, I really would just get rid of fake news. You know, journalists would just tell the truth all the time, but practically speaking, that's not going to happen. No. So what needs to happen is that every once in a while, um, a journalist does tell a lie, I think the company or the news organisation that they work for should like, come out and say, okay, this person said something wrong. It might be an accident or a lie, but they said something wrong, just to like, acknowledge that there's something wrong, just to like, to the public that they're not purposefully lying. Yeah, I suppose if you have that um, sort of transparency between the two, 
then I think the public might be a bit more appreciative that sometimes people may get things wrong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So if they do own up to it, then that would improve it. But, yeah. Yeah, it's quite a hard thing to get rid of fake news. Yeah, it's it's just down to the journalists, to be honest. Yeah. So I suppose in in a way you could say better training would be a way of producing that. If If the actual official journalists are absolute top of the line always giving out trusted information that's that would be the solution but it's very hard to do that i think also it's kind of linked to like political bias in a sense because you know the whole like trump election thing yeah like fake news thing um i don't think a lot of conservatives like regardless if cnn is sending a truth or the lie they're gonna call it fake news and it's just like something that's got to do more more of like political views than with actual like facts yeah yeah it's politically charged yeah people just like following their own team and believing in their own team and not allowing themselves yeah. to be influenced by anything that anyone else said, which is quite a toxic way to uh, go about it, but, you know. Blind loyalty, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think the best way of explaining to someone who might believe in all of the <laughs> fake news and conspiracies that are spread around the internet, what's the best way to maybe explain to them why they, that might be wrong and why they might need to uh, just check up on the things that they're reading. Well, I think it's... I think facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I just think facts. Show them the facts and if they don't believe the facts, then I don't know what... I don't think they can be saved. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, def- I definitely agree with Adam because, like, with some people, you know, it's like... It's kind of like minor conspiracies, or you can kind of believe it. It's kind of like believable. Or other facts with other conspiracies, like the Earth is flat. You cannot like help these people at all. Like you can literally show them a map, and they'd be like, "Nah, nah that's fake." So yeah, yeah that's kind of like some people are beyond saving assumption. <laughs> but as as humorous as it is, I think depending on how it's, it depends on how kind of absurd the conspiracy is. I think yeah. yeah. Um, and it also depends on how um, much it actually affects day to day life. Say it's often the political conspiracies are often the ones that have the most impact on uh, people's day, day-to-day lives, where it actually, you know, could be, this is quite extreme, but say life or death for someone getting the food they need or something. I don't know. But it's, I think, I think it depends on how severe the uh, conspiracy could think, be. It should be well-researched and should be well If you learned. take uh, COVID as an example, the amount of ideas oh, about yeah, yeah. COVID, yeah, the, the vaccine and how the the reason that the government are administrating this vaccine is to actually put a chip in us to track us and there's people who think that type of thing and it's kind of like i don't, I don't know i'm not trying to put anyone down who might think that but obviously it seems quite ludicrous to me and i don't know why someone would think that yeah i think you've kind of summed up what i was trying to say yeah. for a while <laughs> covid is covid is the best example for it definitely yeah people just try to like it's, it's essentially just emotionally charged but like you can literally show them all the facts but if they're like emotionally investing in like some kind of like weird plot or something you just kind of like want it to be true and there's no way you can ever convince them so yeah with the, with the point of covid that's actually amazing because it's like an actual live and death situation so you have to like help people but i guess it's also with situations like let's say the earth is flat it's completely like everyone knows it's fake except for a few dumb people essentially but if you let them believe that and you don't kind of like try to help them they're going to believe in even more crazy thing and like spread those kind of like lies if that makes sense and yeah. they're all going so you can Would have you to, like, say that 
in some cases it's more of a lack of understanding and a lack of education than just sheer ignorance to believe the other side or do you, would you say think... that it's equal part on both yeah, yeah, I, gonna, I think it's 15 percent actual ignorance and like 85 percent actual like you know bad faith actors i'm gonna yeah. be honest you cannot like believe in some of these things because like let, i've actually i think i've seen like some um some people that kind of like the accounts sets where you can like people can donate to them to kind of help with some kind of conspiracy thing but yeah so like a lot of people are bad faith actors and just kind of like use gullible people that's what i'm trying to say yeah well there was a lot of uh, debate in that episode and i hope you all thoroughly enjoyed it and it's goodbye for now all right bye bye, bye.